It might just be too far. Yeah. So would you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we continue our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians and looking at the, the church in Thessalonica as a model church, as a young church, as relatively a healthy church. And we have been walking through this epistle to glean from God's word as a church to see what it means to be a church and how we ought to live as a church. So we'll pick it up today in verse 6 and read through verse 11 and ask the Lord to show us his truth so we may be transformed and conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in learning from his word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 6 through 11. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us for wrath, but obtaining for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, comfort one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you have given us this time to come to you and to your word. We know when we believe that when we hear the Bible speak, we are hearing you speak. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts and minds to behold the wondrous truth of your word. Not only behold it, we ask you, by the power of your spirit to apply it to every single one of our lives so that we may be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So if you noticed, and if you're a grammar beef, uh, grammar beef, a grammar fanatic, um, as I am, you notice how we started reading in verse 6. And it began by saying, so then. It's a conjunction right there, right? That's what it's called. And that means there was something previously stated that whatever we're going to talk about hangs on, which is found in verse 5, where Paul proclaims to us and reminds us that we are sons of light and sons of day, and we are not of the night or nor of the darkness. That's who we are. So I say this because looking around and seeing you, 
I am trusting the Lord has opened your eyes and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and have been brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light by putting your faith in Him for that. So when I'm speaking, I'm speaking to children of light. And this was not an easy introduction to settle on because I have been at the pulpit here for a few months. Um, and this verse that we read says, don't sleep. Now let us not be asleep. So I even wanted to actually make that a kind of a joking way of entering and saying, hey, don't fall asleep during the service it's in the bible we read it right and trying to get you guys to remain awake during the sermon but needless to say i've done both to kind of speak to you from a perspective of you are children of light you are not of the darkness but also stay awake um because we talked about the day of the Lord, and this is really a continuation of what Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, the Bible says, when, whenever you see that book, that, that term, the day of the Lord, it's not talking about a specific day like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's talking about the day where Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the day, dead. It is the day of judgment. That is what it means. And we talked extensively about it last week. And if we are honest, it was kind of like doom and gloom. It's kind of scary. Um, the day of the Lord is not fun. It's not to be taken lightly. It is a serious matter because you think of God judging everyone according to their deeds and thoughts and speech and then you kind of look inward and say what are my deeds like how would god judge my deeds how would god judge my thoughts and my speech and you start thinking oh this is a serious matter that's heavy it's awesome it's scary even and some people might even find it as a point of contention, like, why are you preaching doom and gloom, the wrath of God, uh, brimstone and fire, hell, and all these things? Uh, this is the reality of the judgment day, and I, this, is, this is not who God is. Because we don't want God to be mean. Because it makes God look like he's mean. Because he judges people and sends people to hell and stuff like that. So the day of the Lord is really a serious matter. And because it's serious, it might even cause us to be anxious. Anxiety may overtake you as you're thinking about these things. And you start grading your thoughts. Where was my mind at yesterday? What am I thinking about right now? How is my life in front of the judgment seat of God? Oh no, I don't know. Am I re even saved? You might even get anxious. So in the word of Francis Schaeffer, 
how should we live? How should you live then? It's a title of a book, How Then Shall We Live? Um, I recommend that book for those of you that are readers. How do you live the Christian life in light of the sudden, destructive, inescapable reality of the day of the Lord? That's what we saw last week, right? The day of the Lord is sudden. It comes as a thief in the night. It's very destruct destructive in a way that it's, it's either you're in the book of life or you're being judged to go to hell and die a second time. And you can't escape it. So in light of this, how do we live our Christian lives? Do we live our Christian lives hiding around and thinking about just looking inward and saying, is this going to be judged? Is God going to grade me on this behavior, on this choice of words or in my thought life and my deed? And then have I pleased God when I, when I did this and when I did that? And then it's kind of, you might even get wrapped up to be inside of a prison of your own mind. Then how should we live? How is the Christian life supposed to be lived as children of light? This is why Paul picks up today and as by saying so then, as being in light of you being the children of day, children of light, and not being children of darkness. In our text today, Paul lays out three contrasts so you can be com comforted and strengthened for the day and in the day of the Lord. In verses 6 through 11, we see three contrasts. And the contrast is really presented to us by one conjunction in verse 6. The word but happens in verse 6. And again in verse 8. And again in verse 9. And we see these three contrasts. And if we take these three contrasts, we can find comfort and strength for the day of the Lord. And that would be our outline for today. These are the three contrasts that I want us to consider together. There's a contrast in Paul's exhortation. There's also a contrast in the church's identity, and there's a contrast in the position we have as a church. So as we look at the contrast, the first thing that we notice is, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. This is an exhortation. This is a command. This is something that Paul is telling us, let us not do this, but do that. This is a command. This is an exhortation so that we may take heed to what Paul is telling us, what the word of God is telling us. What is the contrast here in between? The contrast here is between let us not sleep, which means... He's not talking about physical sleep, by the way. He's not talking about closing your eyes and resting. This is metaphorically speaking 
about not being alert to something that is potentially dangerous. This is the state of mind where energy and concentration is lacking, right? That's, that's essentially, even when you think about physical sleep, that really is what it is, right? You lack energy in your body and therefore you physically sleep. When you lack concentration in one area and you're not focused, you can't keep your mind focused, then that's where the sleepiness happens, even our physical way. In, our physical, in the physical sense. But Paul here is talking about the, the metaphorical aspect of our spiritual life. This state of mind where energy and concentration regarding the faith you have in Jesus Christ is lacking. This is what he says, let us not sleep. Let us not lose energy and concentration and faith towards Christ. By the way, this is something that others do. I mean, we, you look around and there are many people that don't have any energy and concentration when it comes to faith in Christ. And there's also this kind of um, sleepiness the, the, the not being alert to the danger that is faced by not having faith in Christ. Others do these things. And we'll come back to that later. One commentary actually defines sleep in this way. It is a spiritual and moral indifference and dullness. A spiritual and moral indifference and dullness. So being indifferent morally, being indifferent spiritually, not knowing what you believe in. I don't know if it's like that or like this. I don't know if I care about this. This, this is the, the, the indifference. Or you're just dull, like nothing is, nothing is actually making you feel like you're alert. You're... That's how sleep is defined. And Paul exhorts us, the Word of God exhorts us, as children of light, not to be asleep that way. Not to have a spiritual and moral indifference or dullness. On the other side, this is the negative exhortation. By contrast, look at what Paul says in the second part of verse 6. But let us, you see that, right? It's the same kind of construction. It's let us not sleep. And over on the other side of the contrast, let us be awake and sober. Let us be alert. Actually, some translations have it as. And sober. Or self-controlled. Some translations might have it as that. What does it mean to be awake? What does it mean to be sober? I mean, we live in a time now, for the last, I don't know, four or five years, we've heard the word woke. Constantly, right? Like such and such, I mean, you might even be you friends with people that are woke. 
you might even be woke. Have you considered what that means besides the cultural nuance? Really, the foundation of the meaning of that word is somebody that is awake and that is alert to what the system of the, 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 the nation that we live in has done to people of different colors without getting too, too deep into whether we lie one way or another. That's really what it is. It's like, don't be asleep of what the system is doing. Be awake to what's happening. Be alert to it. So... It's not really a foreign, a, a foreign idea for us to, to be told, to be exhorted, to be awake and not asleep. Because we know what wokeness means. It's being intentional. It's being actively vigilant. Being aware, knowing what everything lies. Not just outside of us, but also inside of us. Considering, especially in light of the, Lord, the, the day of the Lord, considering our motivations. Looking in our hearts and saying, am I living towards the day of the Lord? Am I living to please God? Am I living consistently with what I believe in? Is my thought or my speech or my action, if the Lord were to come in judgment today as a thief in the night, would that be pleasing to Him? That kind of alertness, watchfulness, and being intentional about it, which takes energy and concentration, which is not found in sleep. That's the kind of being awake Paul is discussing, being alert. But also, if you are too woke, there is such a thing as being too woke, right? And you can just kind of go off the hinges. That every aspect of uh, everything can even cause you to just be so sensitive, hypersensitive, hyper-woke, hyper-awake, hyper-vigilant, to where you can't even find the freedom to experience and live in the grace and mercy of the Lord. So Paul says, not only you need to be awake to this, but you need to also be sober about these things. You need to have a sober-mindedness, a, a, a level of control in your mind and your thinking so that you don't fall off the, the deep end of hypervigilance. Where it's like, oh, oh no, I did this. God is going to judge me and it's sending me to hell. Oh no, you know, yesterday I didn't pray for 15 minutes. I only prayed for 10. Oh man, I'm going to be so, I'm going to be in so much trouble with, with, with the Lord if he's to come now. And then you kind of just, you're over obsessing to the point of being sinful. If you're hyper vigilant. So in order to curb that, Paul says, hey, be awake and sober. Understand the reality around you without your emotions or your, 
your passions being in the midst of all of that and you're not just being pulled by your emotions and just know that see things from God's perspective. Be self-controlled in the way that you live. Really, it's not ourself that's controlling us. When we say self-controlled, we're really saying spirit-controlled. Because we do know that our we lack self-control, but the spirit bears the fruit in our lives of self-control. So if you notice, by the way, anytime be alert to be awake is mentioned in the Bible, it's always paired for this reason, I believe. It's always paired either with be sober-minded, be awake and sober, or be alert and be watchful and pray. It's always paired with something because the Lord knows we can really start getting into our own minds and kind of start grading ourselves and lose sight of the grace and mercy of the Lord. So we need to have our feet on the ground when we think of the day of the Lord. And we kind of mentioned that last week. We kind of presume on the grace and mercy of the Lord. Jesus died to save sinners, and therefore I can just sin and then he'll save me. Or we can get onto the other side of things and say, oh, God is up there waiting for us to mess up so he can come down and punish us. But Paul's exhortation is for us to be awake and sober without being hypervigilant. And this is what the Lord himself tells his disciples in Mark chapter 14, verses 37 and 38. When he took Peter, John, and James to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, he walked a few steps away from them, and he told them to remain there and keep watch. And then he went to pray, and he's praying this passionate prayer because he's about to get betrayed, and he comes back, and he comes and he finds them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, even the Lord says, don't sleep, but be watchful. But be watchful in a way that is paired with praying. You notice that in verse 38. And this comes at the heel of what, what he was teaching his disciples in Mark 13, 33 through uh, 37. And this is, you can just listen to this as I read it to you. See to it and keep on the alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. This is in regards to the time. This is after at the, at the heels of him telling them, what the day of the Lord or the signs of the day of the Lord, they've asked them and they said, hey, how, when is the end going to come? We want to know. 
And at the hill of him telling them about the different signs and what they will notice in the last days. And, and he tells them to, 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 to watch out for these things in this passage. Mark 13, 33 through 37. See to it, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man away on a journey who leaving his house and giving authority to his slaves, each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay awake. Verse 35, therefore, stay awake. Do you notice the repetitiveness of being alert, being awake, being watchful? Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. You don't know that. Lest he comes suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all. What the Lord says to the disciples right before his betrayal and his arrest he says to all of us, stay awake. Be on the alert. And yet, sober-mindedly, not hyper-awake, not hypersensitive, not hyper-alert, but in line with the reality of what the Lord reveals Himself to be in Scripture. That is to say, can any of you fulfill every aspect of every law of God? The answer is no, none of us can. So can we please God on our merit? No, we cannot please God on our merit. So, on whose merit is God pleased? It is the merit of His own begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have faith in Him, that's what saves us. You see the balance there, right? Yes, we are responsible to be awake, to be alert, not to be asleep. But we need to be sobered by the fact that our wokeness or us being alert or not being asleep is the thing that causes us to be saved on the day of the Lord. That's the sober-mindedness that we are exhorted. So if you heed to this exhortation then you can find comfort and you can draw in the strength of the Lord secondly Paul's explanation of this exhortation and contrast is described by another contrast and this contrast seems to be a contrast of identity Look down with me to verse 7, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7. For those who sleep, 
And again, those who get drunk. And in verse 8, we are of the day. That's the, that's the contrast. There are those who are asleep and get drunk. And there's those of us that are of the day. You see the two contrasts. Set before us. Who are those who sleep and get drunk? They are the children of the night because he says these, those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And up in verse 5, he said, we are not of the night nor of darkness. And the Bible is continually reminding us that there is children of dark, the dark. And we were once in darkness. We read in our scripture reading that men love darkness rather than light. Naturally, that's the natural disposition of all of us. And this is what identifies the children of darkness. The children of the light, the, the night. The children of the night, think of the night, and in terms of right now, we don't even consider the night in our in 21st century, right? Because, I mean, we have electricity, we have the internet going, we have running water and everything else. We can stay up all night and be productive all night. Most of our highways in, in the U.S. are built overnight. Like you go on the, on the highway today and then you come back the next day and they've done something new completely and because they've been working overnight. But when Paul is writing this, when, when the Lord is speaking to his disciples, nighttime is when no work is being done. When the sun goes down, that's it. It's done. No work can be done at night. And the night is where the mind is intoxicated with defective spiritual understanding. This is what it means to be drunk. To be intoxicated by a defective spiritual understanding where there's no strength and concentration of faith. This is what these people that are described here as those who sleep, or in verse 6 where he says, as others do, those others, this is what they're identified in this way. Drunk and sleep. I ask you. Is that what defines your life? Is that what identifies you? By the way, it's not to say that there are not moments in the Christian life where you battle with sin and you end up falling and you may find aspects of sleepiness or aspects of drunkenness in this sense. I don't mean physically getting drunk. But when the Lord sees you, would He identify you as that? Are you identify as that? 
there's this contrast. There are going to be those who are going to be identified. Their entire identity is built on the lack of concentration and energy towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Their entire identity is going to be seen as being intoxicated by false religion or defective spiritual understanding. That's who they are. It's not what they sometimes fall into. It's not something that happens as a bleep in, their, in, in the radar of their lives. It's that's who they are. That's their identity. In contrast, there are those of us. You notice how it goes from you to us, by the way? From them to us? It's so comforting to read. When you read we, you're reading yourself into it. You, that's who you are. And it's almost... <laughs> look, down, look down in verse 8. But, this is the contrasting um, conjunction there. Since we are. It's assumed for you and I. He assumes it. He's like, since we are. Like, I don't even have to convince you that you are. Like, since you're sitting here, if I'm saying that, I'm not convincing you to sit in front of me. You already are. That's who you are. Do you hear the comfort in that? Can you see how you can draw strength in that? Knowing who you are? What does it say you are? You are, we are of the day. Those who are in the light, in verse 5, the sons of light and the sons of day. Those of us who have been and are now putting on this, this breastplate of faith and love, this helmet of the hope of salvation, that's who we are. It's assumed. And we are now putting this breastplate of faith and this breastplate of love and the helmet of our hope of salvation. He's saying, there are those that are identified as children of darkness and there are those of us that our identity is rooted in faith and love and hope. The Lord Jesus himself taught us about these contrasting identities. As a, in John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, which we read this morning in our scripture reading, where he says, And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. You see the contrast there, right? For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds are exposed. You ready for a contrasting conjunction? There it is. But 
He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as having been done by God. You see the, the contrast between light and darkness. But those of us who identify in faith in Christ, love to Christ, and hope for the day of Christ, for the day of the Lord, if that is what our identity is rooted in, we can find comfort and strength for that day. And on that day, But what causes that identity? What cause do you have for the position? And the cause of this identity is also explained in verse 9. By this contrasting position, by this contrasting destiny or contrasting identity. What is the contrast between? In verse 9, For God has not appointed us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. You see the two contrasts. Wrath and salvation. So there are two positions. There are two destinies. There are two contrasting appointments by God. And the position of those that are not alert that are asleep, that are intoxicated, or that are drunk, that are in darkness, where they find their identity being as the children of darkness and the children of the, the night. What is their position? What is their appointment? What is their destiny? Paul says it is wrath. I mean, it is assumed. For God has not appointed us for wrath implies that there are those who God appoints for wrath on the basis of their identity not being rooted in faith and love and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the basis of them practicing and who their evil deeds and not coming to the light. So there, those, there are those that are appointed for wrath. But on the contrast, there are those who are appointed for obtaining salvation. Whose appointed outcome is to be saved. And these are those of us. Again, you hear the word us, and how comforting it is to hear the word us. But God did not appoint us. God did not appoint you who identify as the children of the light 
who are alert and not asleep and sober-minded to wrath. But he has appointed you for the obtaining of salvation. Notice how this position is acquired, by the way. He doesn't do this because you attend church service every Sunday. Or you pay attention when the sermon is being preached. Or you have this continual daily devotion time, which is commendable if you do, and I believe and I hope you do. That's not the basis of this appointment for the obtaining of salvation. Paul wants to make this clear to us. It is only through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, last portion of, it's only through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. You notice how this position is acquired through our Lord Jesus. And his substitutionary atonement, his death on our behalf. This is the only reason why you have this life. It is Christ focused. It's never our alertness, our not being asleep, and being aware, and being watchful, being sober minded. All of it is rooted, our identity. Our faith, our love, our hope, we don't have faith in faith. We don't have love in love. And we don't have hope in hope, by the way. There is an object to our faith. There is an object to our love. There is an object to our hope. And the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust in Him who was crucified on our behalf. We trust that He raised from He was raised from the dead, and He has given us new life, and He has given us His Spirit to seal us by His Spirit, given us power to live a life that is worth worthy of the Father's approval. That's who we have faith in. And for us, love is not love for us. God is love. And personified in the person of Jesus Christ. And no greater love do we know than a friend laying his life down for his friends. And what has Christ done for you and I? For those who call upon his name. For those who put their trust in him. To show his love to us. He died on a cross. He bore the wrath that was due for us. Which would have put us in the position of those who are in, in, in darkness. He took the penalty of, of our sin, and He became our substitute on the cross. 
and having satisfied that wrath, given us His righteousness, His love, His life, so that we may love Him and love one another as disciples of Christ. Do you notice how all of everything that we have been talking about this morning is not me-centered? It's not self-centered? It's not a checkbox of, okay, I was alert to this, I'm woke, and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm biblically woke. So I'm good, I'm going to be saved. I identify as a Christian, and therefore I'm safe. It's not through that that we are, have been given this position of obtaining salvation. It is only through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with Him. It's all about Him. He has assured and guaranteed and accomplished life and in Him and with Him on His merit. So if you consider your position in Christ, if you carefully and wisely consider your position in Christ to be this way, put on who you are in Him, Put on that breastplate of faith and love. Put on that helmet of hope. Put on that identity in Him, that visible identity that people can see your life, people can hear your words and say, that's a Christian. That is one who, have, who has been saved from darkness to light. That is who you are. Put on that identity. And heed to the exhortation to be alert and not to be spiritual sleepers. with real, real, reasonable, spiritual, by the way, just as a, an aside, here's a definition, a working definition, a real definition of what it means to be spiritual. To be spiritual is to be biblical. If you say you are spiritual, in essence, what you're saying is you are biblical. Because the Spirit gives us scripture. The Spirit is the author of the Bible. He is the divine author of what the Bible reveals to us. So if we want to be spiritual, that means we are being biblical. So we think through things biblically. We measure things 
according to the revealed will of God in Scripture. Sober-mindedly doing that. If you heed to that exhortation, to that command, to be sober, to be spiritual, to be biblical, to be wise, and not to be sleepers, to not lack focus and energy because of who you are in Christ, because of what Christ has accomplished, because of the position that you have in Him. If you consider that, it is the Lord's will to give you comfort and strength. This is why Paul concludes in verse 11. Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore? To tell us, in light of everything, in light of these three contrasting truths, in light of your, the exhortation I've given you, in light of the, 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 the identity you have in Christ, in light of the position you have, therefore, comfort one another, build up one another. Strengthen one another. This is a source of comfort. If you heed to the exhortation. If you put on your new identity in Christ. And if you consider your position in Him. It is the Lord's will to give you comfort. And it is the Lord's will to strengthen you. Because you can find comfort and strength in Christ who gives you this new identity. Who gives you this position. Who positions you to salvation and enables you even to heed His commands. You can find comfort and strength in Christ. And if you're here and you haven't trusted in Him for this, you do well today to do so. If you have not put your trust in Him, if you have not believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, His life, His death, and His resurrection, today is the day of salvation. You will do well, for He will give you comfort and strength by giving you this new identity, by giving you, by positioning you to salvation and enabling you to heed His commands. So I call on you to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you have not done so. If you have done so, find comfort in Him. Let's pray.